Mark 14, we will be focusing on verses 65 through 72, but we'll start reading in verse 53. So reading verses 53 through the end of the chapter, verse 72, God's word. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance and ran into the courtyard of the high priest, And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. Some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands." Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do you need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and cover his face and strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, while the the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down. And he wept. As for the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Let's pray. So we recently weathered a season of quarantine and isolation. People stayed in their rooms to keep away from their family. Senior homes were locked down to visitors like prisons on high security. Sick died alone in the hospital, denied any loved ones to visit. Shop workers stood behind plexiglass, and consumers hid their faces as if robbers. And as we reflect back on this period, there are, of course, many passionate opinions. But one thing is fairly clear, that the isolation took a toll. Social quarantine left us psychologically bruised and out of joint. Loneliness drove us to be addicted to our screens, which ironically increased our feelings of separation anxiety. Thus, this recent experience and its ongoing effects 
By it, we're able to understand better the deeper currents of our Lord's own suffering. Namely, that he had to feel that thorny burden of being totally isolated. So, as we saw last week, the votes have been cast and the verdict has been rendered. Jesus is guilty of blasphemy and so he must not live. By speaking the eternal truth that he was Christ, the Son of God, he was condemned for it as an intolerable lie. The high judges of the Sanhedrin have spoken, and so it will be. Therefore, this prestigious body of distinguished gentlemen shift gears. Now, upon first impression, the elders and priests start acting like cruel teenage bullies. For the scribes spit on him, the elders slap him upside the head, and a bag is pulled over Jesus' head as they play a savage game of predict who punched you. Now, this seems so unbecoming for us, for we tend to view such ruling bodies as this through the rules of conduct for our U.S. Senate. And yet the etiquette of judicial councils vary in time and place. Just think of the British Parliament or those parliaments in other places where we've seen they break out into fistfights. Thus, this judicial abuse is actually deliberately punitive. This is active judicial shaming. For punishment under the law included both retributive penalties and personal shaming. To spit on someone degraded them as disgraceful, an embarrassment to the community. To cover their face signified that he was an unworthy abomination, not even to be looked upon. And a slap upon the cheek didn't just pain the body, but it discredited the soul with contempt. Jesus is guilty of death. He's forfeited his right to life. And so he's lost the right to be respected. This shame separates Jesus from the norm of human rights. For in scripture, sin and crime strip you of your rights. Guilty of the death penalty, it's only fitting then that Jesus be treated accordingly. He must be quarantined off from human respect and decency. The priest, hawk loogies, they swing their backhands as their duty to shame one who has lost all honor and dignity. Though they do twist this shaming torture into a mocking game, they cry, prophesy, if you're the Son of God, if you're the Messiah, then prove your prophetic powers. They ridicule our Lord for having a silly pride. Pride, What a bloated ego you have, claiming to be the Christ. You, though, cannot, cannot even pin the punch on the priest, much less fulfill the prophecies of the Son of Man. The elders and scribes shame Jesus as a false prophet, an arch fool, an evil pretender, the prime hypocrite. By fierce teasing, the judges separate Jesus off from the offices that rightly belong to him. They deny him both human respect and his God-given authority. And yet, as slaps and blows are raining down on Jesus, Mark takes us back outside. The scene shifts back to Peter, 
who is out in the courtyard. But this movement, though, includes both time and space. That is the repetition of Peter, the courtyard, and warming himself by the fire links back to verse 54, which is a resumption. That is, the the story in verse 66 resumes where it broke off in verse 54. This is a common uh, Old Testament narrative technique to create a split screen, two things happening at the same time. Mark is telling us that Peter's events outside are happening at the same time as what's happening to Jesus inside. Verses 55 through 64 overlap in time with verses 65 through 72. And these simultaneous events are matched up for comparison. How does Peter's behavior outside compare with Christ? Well, what is Peter up to? Well, as he is rubbing his hands together over the fire on this chilly night, a servant notices Peter. Now, this is rendered a servant girl, but the term actually has no age connotation. She's a female slave, so we can just call her the maid. The maid, though, quickly uh, um, causes an awkward stare down. She walks up to Peter and gazes at him right in the face. Peter probably pretended not to see her, but he cannot escape her gaze. Then she asked, you too were with the Nazarene, with the Jesus. The maid identifies Peter as being with our Lord. She even calls Jesus the Nazarene, which for Peter should be a compliment. For if you remember, demons cried out, Jesus of Nazareth, son of God. Bartimaeus shouted, Jesus of Nazareth, son of David. This ought to be a happy claim for a friend or follower of Jesus. You bet I'm with the Nazarene. But not for Peter. Instead, he plays dumb. I neither know nor understand what you're talking about. Like a janitor on the graveyard shift, Peter just taking his break. He doesn't have a clue what all this commotion is about. And then he pretends as if the maid is speaking another language. No habla espanol. To protect himself, he chooses to be a dunce and ignoramus rather than to admit that he is with Jesus. Peter lies knowing anything that's going on to commit his first denial. And yet, at this very moment, inside the courthouse, false witnesses are lined up. They are testifying to and positing non-truths about Jesus right at the same time as Peter falsely denies the truth. The witnesses call lies the truth, and Peter labels the truth as a lie. By his first denial, Peter lines up with the false witnesses. This top disciple aligns with the enemies which further pushes Jesus into isolation. The bond of friendship between Peter and Jesus kept Christ tethered to human warmth and respect. But to deny that he knows anything about the Nazarene, stiff arms our Lord. Social isolation includes both physical separation 
and relational affection. You can be a thousand miles away from your friend, but if you know that they love you, it's okay. But if they are mad at you, if they're sick of you, then your heart can feel like it's in another country while being in the same room. And so Jesus is being isolated from the love and the commitment of Peter. To be stiff-armed by a friend hurts worse than a slap from a foe. This awkward account encounter, though, makes Peter move to a more secure location. He can't take the chance of getting caught, so he tries to reduce his risk by going out to the gate. This is a safe disguise, and as he settles into the corner by the gate, a rooster crows. Now, of course, this is, this is part of our Lord's prediction for Peter, that he would deny him three times before two rooster crows. This should be a warning to Peter. The animal noise should awaken his spirit to the fact that he's falling into temptation and sin. But the crowing bounces off Peter's ears. He doesn't hear it. It doesn't register for him. Of course, as you know, we all have selective hearing, and we're, when we are deeply focused or when we are in a time of distress and fear, sounds often never make it through our earwax to reach our minds. So, in his effort to protect himself, the rooster's alarm cannot penetrate the fat ears of Peter. Nevertheless, his new secure location doesn't last too long. For the very same maid again spots him. This maid is a busybody. Her task was just to bring wood for the fire, but she acts like a a guard dog patrolling the perimeter. And she's a chatterbox, for she starts gabbing with all the bystanders and pointing to Peter. This man is one of them. You see him? No, not him, the other guy. Yeah, he is the one who belongs to the Nazarene. He is with the guy who just got condemned to death. What should we do about it? You should do something. Peter just wanted to be an antisocial pessimist in the corner, but providence will not give him a break. This nosy maid will not leave him alone. Well, this is a more dangerous pointing out, so Peter now increases his denial. Now he denies even belonging to Jesus. I am not on Team Nazarene. I refuse to be identified with him. This second denial grows in severity and explicitness. In his first denial, he just played dumb about the whole matter. Peter was actually silent about being with Jesus. He just refused to admit it. Now, though, he outwardly denies belonging to Jesus. He actively disowns our Lord. Peter rejects or defends himself by rejecting membership with Christ. The downward progression is like saying, I've never heard of Christianity, to then saying, I'm not a Christian. This is a significant turn-up of disowning Jesus. This drives the knife of loneliness deeper into the heart of Christ. Moreover, at this very moment on the inside, the high priest is daring Jesus to defend himself against all the false testimony. Lying charges are being thrown at Jesus, 
but he remains silent. He will not defend himself. Yet the truth is put to Peter, and he denies it as being a falsehood. Peter protects his life from the truth, while Jesus will not defend his life against the lie. Remember, life is on the line here. Peter had promised to die with Jesus if he had to, but instead now of risking his life, Peter is scrambling to stay alive, even by rejecting the truth and his Savior. Our Lord, though, silently though lets the lie prey upon him with no self-defense. The silence of our Savior is braver than the loud denials of Peter. Yet Peter's second denial buys him some more time. The maid moves on and the bystanders change the subject. Though it isn't long before the conversation around the fire comes back to Peter, the maid's suggestions just won't go away. You know, the maid was right. You are one of them. You are a Galilean. Now, numerous servants, temple police, and other people speak directly to Peter, and they identify him as belonging to Jesus and as coming from Galilee, that home region of the Nazarene. For remember, Peter's accent is, is unmistakable. His Galilean draw can be heard from a mile away. But now, too many eyes are on him. Too many are pointing at Peter. He cannot hem and haw his way out of this. And so he swings for the fence. Peter goes from zero to 200 miles per hour in two seconds flat. For he starts spewing curses and oaths like he had food poisoning. And it doesn't get any more serious than this. For these are not the curses of foul language. But this is solemn religious talk. This curse and curse and oath are to invoke God's own name. First, by the curse, Peter says something to the fact as, May I be cursed by God if I'm not telling the truth. As surely as Yahweh lives, let me be damned. Peter so underscores the truth of what he's saying that he takes the holy name on his lips to curse himself if he's lying. Secondly, the oath is similar, but it is positively phrased. By the oath, Peter says, as surely as the Lord lives, I am telling the truth. The oath calls witness as heaven as a witness to bolster his truth-telling. But both the curse and the oath are invoked for a lie. In saying these, Peter calls anathema down upon himself. And it gets worse, for in an oath, you invoke God's name, his person and being. By naming God, Peter implicitly also names Christ the Son of God. Peter swears by the divine person of the Son of God that he does not know Jesus and doesn't belong to him. He invokes Christ to solemnize his lie of rejecting and disowning Christ. He profanes the name of God with a lie of repudiation. And the stench grows fouler yet. For at this same moment, back inside the judicial chamber, Jesus breaks his silence to confess that eternal truth, that he is the Christ, the Son of God. 
Just as Jesus speaks the brightest truth, so Peter swears the darkest lie. Jesus testifies, I am. And in the background, you can hear Peter ranting, by God, I do not know him. But the depth of Peter's denial leaves a pit in your stomach. By his sworn anathema, Jesus then is fully isolated from Peter. He has, he lost the last connection to human companionship. With the vigor of heaven, Jesus is quarantined from all affection and respect. The jagged blade of utter loneliness pierces heart and soul of our Lord. For the last thread of love has been cut. Jesus is deserted and desolate. And such is the burden of Christ's suffering. This is the burden of his cross even before he's nailed to it. To save himself, Peter killed the one he professed to love. Peter's denials divulge much about him, but they actually say more about our Savior and his suffering complete isolation. And yet, as soon as Peter wraps up his litany of oaths and curses, a chicken squawks. For the second time, the rooster sounds his morning alarms. To fulfill our Lord's prophecy, Peter will deny him thrice before the rooster crows twice. Moreover, the rooster fulfills Jesus' prediction at the same time as the cruel judges are taunting him blindfolded to prophesy. They slap him and say, prophesy. Well, Jesus does not use his voice, but he's speaking through the rooster. God once spoke through a donkey. Christ said he could raise up rocks to sing. So here Jesus Christ speaks through a chicken. The prophetic rooster confirms the word of Christ. The crowing testifies that Jesus is the true prophet, for he's the real Messiah, the very Son of God. Yes, the word of God is heralded here by a rooster. And this chicken speaks more truth than Peter and all the corrupt judges put together. Thus, this inspired rooster filled with the Spirit breaks through to Peter. The first crow he did not hear, but this second crowing shocks him with the truth. What Jesus said had come true. Before the rooster squawked twice, he denied Jesus thrice. The horror of his sworn denial hits him like a ton of bricks. Peter breaks down and weeps. He bawls at his failure. Tears will not stop at the realization that the curse of heaven is now hunting Peter. Surely he will not escape the hounds of God's justice. He promised to be faithful, but now he rejected belonging to Jesus. He was supposed to die with our Lord, but he saved himself with the curse of disowning him. Indeed, if you think about it, Peter's ego made his fall worse. If he hadn't promised to die, if he hadn't boasted of never failing, then his denials would be a little less dark. 
had Peter stayed away, if he hadn't followed at a distance and snuck into the courtyard, he wouldn't have uttered such profane oaths. That ounce of courage of Peter made his rejections worse. In many ways, we see in Peter humanity at its best. He was the number one disciple. He left everything for Jesus. He promised never to forsake our Lord and to die with him. He mustered up the bravery to follow Jesus, even after all the other ones ran away. And yet, even with all this good piety, devotion, and intention, Peter fell into the most heinous sin, invoking a false oath to reject our Lord. Therefore, in the weeping of Peter, we hear our own spiritual bankruptcy. His tears testify to the truth that our best works are filthy rags. That before God, no one can boast. Rather, we're all miserable sinners only to condemn ourselves. And the more we brag of our own godliness, the harder we fall into sin. If you think that you can add something to your salvation, then remember Peter. Do not forget the weeping of Peter. And yet, there is something marvelous here. To invoke such a heinous oath, to profane the name of God, to denounce Jesus, the Son of God, this is so criminal that you expect lightning to fall on Peter immediately. In the Old Testament, the earth opened and swallowed up Korah for much lesser sins. Surely Peter deserves a one-way ticket to Hades. But it doesn't happen. Heaven does not execute its justice on Peter. Instead, Peter goes home safe and sound to live another day. Meanwhile, Jesus is marched off to the cross to die as the curse of God. The eternal condemnation earned by Peter bounces off him. And sticks to Jesus. Jesus bears the punishment of Peter. Peter's felonies are credited to our Lord. Peter then both isolates the soul of Christ as a further spiritual torment. And he adds the crushing weight of guilt placed on our Savior. Peter was shown the grace to weep. Which confirms that Jesus then bore all of our sin and guilt. Your shames, your crimes have been imputed to Christ. Our transgressions isolated Christ upon the cross, and then he died for your sin. Finally, the rooster crowed to show that Jesus kept his word. Well, Jesus did not merely predict the threefold denial of Peter, but he also promised not to stay dead. In three days, he would be resurrected and seated at the right hand. The rooster prophet is also a witness to the resurrection of Christ. The chicken crowed for the morning of new creation for the resurrection of Jesus, the firstborn of the dead. And in the rising of Christ, we see confirmed in history our forgiveness our reconciliation, our justification, and our own living hope 
for our own resurrection. Thus may we say amen to the weeping of Peter, for none of us can boast in our works, for we are all dead in sin or were dead in sin. Moreover, may we rejoice with the rooster to sing of Christ's resurrection glory. For in Christ's resurrection, we get all the treasures of Christ, of Christ alone, grace alone, scripture alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Let's pray.